como 10 minutos, nada más que eso, y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos 3-4 metros de ancho. Welcome to another edition of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people that I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers, the expats, the thrill seekers, the knowledge junkies, volunteers, and society quitters. The people who, for one reason or another, made the decision to challenge themselves, to leave behind the comforts of home, venture out into the world, to see what happens. Here we go. Mateo and Nicole had been working at the Surfer Hostel, accompanied by their lovable big-headed dog Zeke, for a few months before we arrived to Puerto. They bought a van in Texas, have been road tripping all throughout Mexico, and plan to keep heading south toward Central. Like the Germans, they're in pursuit of learning how to work the land and have it supplement their groceries. They are hard workers. They would get up at 7 a.m. every morning, make coffee for everyone, and would return from working in the organic farm hours later. Dirty, sweaty, overheated, but fueled by accomplishment and ready to do it again the next day. Inspired by DIY holistic living, They have taught themselves a wide variety of unique skills, from hacking their truck to running on biofuel, foraging in the wild for food, and having tattoos as their wedding rings. They are truly embodying the alternative lifestyle many aspire towards. Here's their story. Hola! Would you guys like to introduce yourself? I'm Matthew Zamora. And I'm Nicole Zamora. I was born in Oregon, and then I moved to Texas uh, when I was in middle school. And then I went to a tech school for cosmetology. So I used to cut hair and work in a couple fancy salons. And then, um, so I was, like, professional by the age of 18. And that lasted, like, two years, and I hated it. So I moved to the Austin area, and I was just working some dumb restaurant job which is where I met Matt, and he was in school at that point in time. What did you go to school for, Matt? Um, which I think I was doing when I first met her. I was at Austin Community College, and then I transferred into UT as a philosophy major. Uh, but, and then I ch- later chose biology as a minor. Cool. How did you guys meet? In the restaurant? Yeah, we were working together, but... Matt had a girlfriend. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Dad had had been dating her for four years. Wow. So it was like pretty much all of high school. And so how long were you guys together before you got married? We were together for two years. And then we didn't have like a traditional um, wedding ceremony. Mm -hmm. We sort of just discussed spending the rest of our life together and... Then we spent five months in Hawaii celebrating that decision. <laughs> that sounds like a great decision. Yeah, so we, we sold all of our, our stuff, and then we just like lived out of backpacks and wanted to keep traveling, which is why we purchased the truck, and we sort of, that was a really big project mm-hmm. because it runs on vegetable oil, so. 
Right. Would you care? So you guys have been traveling from Texas down to here, mm-hmm. and you guys have augmented your truck to run on vegetable oil. Would you like to kind of comment on what that process is like and how difficult it is? If you prefer it over gas, you know, what are the pros and cons of it? Yeah, it's pretty old practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more popular in Western or in um, California, Northern California, Oregon area, Northern and Western states mostly. Mm-hmm. But it's a really messy process. Very messy. <laughs> Just because oil is, you know, messier than, than diesel. Right. And it requires a lot of, like, physical work between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Normal gasoline is so convenient because you just go to a pump and put it in your vehicle and it goes. And our process is, like, you have to find the source of oil. Mm-hmm. Then you have to clean it. Then you have to pump it into your engine. And hopefully it wasn't contaminated in the process because that sort of happened to us already we had like a contaminated source and now we're troubling troubleshooting it it's a project but you're constantly learning and like perfecting it and we built the system ourselves so it was like a learning a learning project the whole time whose idea was it to kind of well we sort of had the idea and we both kind of dumbled upon it i guess because when we were staying in Hawaii at one of these houses, there were a lot of Mother Earth news magazines. <laughs> like, are you familiar with that magazine? Vaguely, I feel really like I saw old it in Portland. Magazine. Yeah, they have thousands of of issues, and they they talk about everything from running your vehicle on alcohol to vegetable oil to brewing your own beer, brewing your own kombucha, growing your own how to make kombucha, all of these things, like, everything. And so we were, like, in this house in the middle of nowhere with piles of magazines, and we just read all of them, and then we were like, okay, I feel like this is what we have to do, everything that we've just learned. And the truck was the first, like, real project we took on. Mm-hmm. And it was successful. We run it on vegetable oil, so. So from, you run it strictly on vegetable oil from Texas <coughs> to no, here? No, no. no. It has, has a two-tank system, so you still need the diesel. Mm. To uh, to heat the vegetable oil because the vegetable oil has to be it is doesn't have to be hot but the more you run your engine on cold vegetable oil it'll tax it because it it's it is similar in viscosity but not enough to to overwork the engine and basically clog things up and if it gets too cold you know it can become like a gel. Like regular oil, and yeah, that would be in your engine. Yeah. So, so you have to. You need the diesel it's to. A little temperamental. You need the diesel to power the truck, um, to heat the oil, and then to flush the fuel lines after, you know, maybe like two or three minutes. Just. Yeah. To, so you start it on diesel, run it for ten minutes, flip a switch, it so turns on the vegetable tank, and then you run on veggie. Yeah. So even when everything's done, it's still a process. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's an endeavor. So really done, yeah. You know? And then you have to change filters too, even more often because. And it requires with, a lot of mechanical. You're dealing knowledge. with waste oil, so even if even though it's filtered, it's still dirty, you know. So, and that's another thing too is you you can't just we can't just take any oil. And that's that's what we've learned is like the oil has to be somewhat clean. I mean not clean, but it can't contain any water or chemicals outside of. That'd be pretty pure. 
So you guys were living in Texas, and what inspired you to come all the way down to Puerto Escondido or Mexico in general, and how is that? How's that journey? Well, ultimately, our goal is to travel all of Central and South America. So Mexico is the first stop. And we wanted to spend a good bit of time in Mexico to really get a strong foundation in Spanish before traveling deeper. Um, but, like, it was a five-year plan to just, like, travel Central and South America. Yeah, I think a lot of our plans involving Mexico were not planned. We had planned to move, to, we had hoped to leave sooner, and then we encountered issues, and then on the way we encountered issues with having contaminated fuel, but we had also, like coincidentally, we were able to plan to leave with my sister and her boyfriend, and he spoke, he's a Mexican national, he spoke fluent Spanish, so it, it helped out a lot just getting from Texas to Guanajuato, Celaya, where we were for three weeks. And that's kind of like how our trip has been the whole time. You know, just where, when we were going to go to the next spot, it just kind of like... Evolves. Evolved, yeah, right. you know, you just organically kind of let the happened. Wind take you. You know? Yeah, we've spent like, we spent three weeks in Guanajuato and then a week somewhere else and a week in the Yucatan and a week in San Cristobal. So it's kind of just like this casual flow. We went to San Cristobal because we had six other people who were trying to get out of the Yucatan. Mm -hmm. So we all just like road tripped in our truck and went there. And then we got a workaway account and we're just kind of going, going with the flow. There's not really any more of a plan for Mexico. So you guys have definitely seemed to have uh, gone down the beaten path in life. What is it about the conventional, like, normative traje trajectory that is so kind of pushed on Americans? What about that has influenced your decisions to go travel extensively? Mainly that the goals that I wanted to accomplish, they could be accomplished in that sort of setting, you know, in a conventional setting where you rent or, or buy a house and want to plant a garden or something in the backyard. But for us it was like it's more than than just growing something in your front yard or, or whatever, keeping your trees out of your neighbor's yard. You know, we wanted to grow things we hadn't heard of before and things that we could, superfoods and things that could we could improve our health. Experiment with projects that are more sustainable and make more sense. And a large part of our wanting to to grow food and be sustainable, it's um, not really possible in the States. You can't really be an organic farmer without the fear of Monsanto seeds coming and contaminating yours. And well, and that, that risk is everywhere. It is. It's a global So there's issue. more. It's, it's more than that, but just like, I just feel like the goals, like our, our huge overall goals, we just felt that they couldn't be accomplished doing those things. And if they could, or if we wanted to, like we would have to do things that we didn't want to do for a long periods of time. So how much longer will you guys be in, do you plan on traveling further south or you're going to stay here for a little bit? I think we're kind of open-ended on that because we tried to make a plan in before we came to Mexico to to actually stay in the Yucatan for a long period of time. So initially we thought we'd be, we'd still be in the Yucatan. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and that changed for, you know, a number of reasons. Would you like to explain what happened to you guys in the Yucatan? Maybe to warn others? Yeah, sure. It was something that Nicole had found through YouTube. This guy, you know, made videos saying that he had set up sort of a, or what he was calling an embassy, um, where people would voluntarily come and grow food and build structures for a communal setting where people can come and live and, and grow their own food, you know. And he had a website and a YouTube channel, like I said before, and then um, we found out later he had numerous other accounts with other websites like bookings.com Expedia.com Expedia.com Advertising the embassy as, as a hotel. And an eco-retreat. Yeah, mm-hmm. an eco-retreat. So offering tours, basically offering tours and such and amenities like electricity and Wi-Fi. And these, right. And we were in contact with the owner for six months before driving to the Yucatan. And he said that it was a great place to learn Spanish. It was a place where we could stay for a long period of time. And when we arrived, there was not really anything there except a couple of palapas, which are like these concrete structures. Yeah, these concrete structures with the palm roofs. I see. But they were not properly built, so they had like leaky roofs. (laughs) And there was um, just a gas generator to pump water from the ground. But the local gas station was a 40 minute drive away. And so a lot of people, we were there one week because we showed up and we were going to be there for six months and we're like, oh my God, we have to leave. <laughs> and because there's nothing there. Oh, and there were, there were five sickly dogs. Yeah, that's the, the saddest part was that the owners left the property with five dogs. One had recently been hit by a car, so it like wasn't walking properly. He left them without dog food. And so people would show up and like there's just like these half, um, feral dogs. Yeah, they were half feral. Like, they would jump on the table and eat your food. And there was a cat. And one cat, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was quite an interesting story. And the first night we arrived there, there was the French couple. And they were, we actually were there two hours before they arrived by ourselves, hanging out with these dogs. And they showed up drunk and explain, you know, and then Elliot, the, the London guy, the guy from London, he explained the whole situation to us. But basically, he showed up, it was in the middle of the, it was like completely dark, there's no electricity, we're in the jungle, and we just hear these drunk people coming down the driveway, and Elliot is this huge guy with this like heavy accent, and he's like, it's all a scam, mate, all a scam. <laughs> the owner's, the owner's not here. And we were there one week, and 18 people showed up, like four people had paid online, made online reservations, yeah. No. and yeah, there's from 19 different countries. Yeah, no, not it would have. There was 18 people that showed up. It could have been. Oh no, no, countries. no, from like nine different countries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slightly different. Um, but luckily, so I'm, were a lot of them stranded. Like yeah, nobody came. We were the only people really with a vehicle. Well, one night these people from the Rainbow Gathering showed up, and I swear they were still on acid, and it was really a weird experience. But they had a van, so luckily they could leave. <laughs> um, but everyone else, like, they came on a taxi. Many people didn't speak 
Spanish. And it's, like, actually a kind of a scary experience. Like, these people were having to walk an hour and a half to the local town and carry five gallons of water back to drink because, or take a cab if you wanted to pay for it because there was no sustainable source of water. There was nobody in charge, nothing. And they were coming expecting something that was organized and professional. So why didn't they leave? Like, why would they walk? Well, the guy from London was... Back and forth. Attached to the dogs. dogs. He He stayed for the dogs. He wanted to help them find them a home or something. And luckily he rehomed the two, the one that was hit by a car. And they were, like, really small. And he had also had his wallet stolen from the last place he was visiting. So he was basically moneyless in this place. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, but there was gasoline for the generator. And before we left, we made sure we filled up the... A tank for him and like get brought him some water. And we left the dog some food. Yeah, we left but some dog we food and had to leave. And get he out. Had, yeah, he had, get out. He had made a, a friend or he had met the neighbor just two lots down. And the neighbor had dogs, so he was kind of like had an exchange with him to get food and, and even you know, food for himself and food for the dogs. That's insane. Yeah. Yes. So you guys were able to, like, kind of rescue some people and bring them down yeah. to San Cristobal? Yeah, and we, we kind of decided that on the whim. Um, because the internet was 40-minute drive away, and yeah. you only got one hour, so it was really impossible to do anything. So we're like, we have to go to a large city where internet access is going to be convenient, because that's, that's all you can do, really. So we drove... That was in Peace Day. Yeah. That was, like, the closest... Near, that's, like, right by Chichen Itza. Yeah. That sure. was, like, the closest town, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I wanted to say about the truck is, like, before we started traveling again, we really wanted to have a way to escape if we ended up in some kind of scary situation. So the truck has been a great investment in that. Like, if it's something sketchy, we just leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Absolutely. We're not yeah. stranded or stuck. And looking at those people that were there, that was really, like, scary. What was the longest that some people had been there? Elliot had been there a month. And before that, a lady from South Africa stayed by herself. Nobody was there. Yeah. And she stayed for the dogs. And as soon as Elliot came, she and she could tell he was, like, a stable, non-sketchy person... He, like, took over, and she left. Yeah, but she was still close by. Yeah, and the neighbor, um, he would also come to check to make sure the dogs were alive, but they were in terrible condition. Like, they had sores that weren't healing, and ticks, and the fleas. Like, I've never seen fleas that bad. I have photos. It's, like, so, it was so disturbing. That's so bizarre. And the night before we were leaving, we were going to leave in the morning, this girl from Washington showed up, Eight sh- people showed eight, up. Eight, eight, people, eight people showed up that day, but this one girl from Washington <laughs> came, and she was going to stay for three weeks. She spoke no Spanish, and she came in the dark, so she, like, <laughs> couldn't set up her tent, and she just, like... And she had a suitcase. Yeah, she, <laughs> she like, had a serious panic attack yeah. because she's just like, I don't know what to do. This is really scary for me. I don't know any of you people. It was... It was but luckily, you know, yeah, we, like, she took her. Up. So, um... On all of your travels, <laughs> has there been any one place that has really impressed you or some place that kind of, like, struck a chord with you? For me, that was Guatemala because I went to Guatemala without any expectation. 
Matt's sister was working there and she invited us to come so we just bought cheap tickets and then she was essentially our tour guide throughout the whole country and so like I wasn't expecting to go to to call yeah we didn't have to, to do see. anything yeah we didn't have to do any planning and it was just like this epic adventure and it was going into like the real jungle where you could see monkeys and yeah. yeah, it was an amazing experience. Well, and it was my first time out of the country, too, so I just went into a completely new place, and it was really magical. It was that amazing. sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. So one thing that I'm asking everybody, although we are from the same country, is there any, like, Texas slang or, like, logos or any, any sort of phrase or idiom that you guys say in Texas that you don't say anywhere else? Like, to each other? Or just, like... Just, just some sort of... Text of something that Texans say? Yeah. Well, everyone uses the y'all. I mean, that's just, like, given. It's just an easy way to reference people, and, you know, you use it without even thinking. But... I feel like people say fixin' a lot. Like, I'm fixin' to do that. Or, oh, yeah, we don't say that up north. Yeah. Up north. That's really funny. So it would be common to hear someone say, y'all, let's go to the store and get us a buggy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call grocery carts? Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. Every area's got its own, got its own slime. All right. Well, thanks, guys. You're welcome. This is awesome. In Puerto, they were able to achieve the alternative experience they were aching to live. The Texans cultivated a sense of community between all of the volunteers. Living in cabanas, we had no television, so the Texans made it a point to rally everyone available to come out and watch the sunset dip under the ocean every night. They would make sure newbies were acclimated and would try to organize big cookouts from time to time between all of the volunteers taking advantage of the fresh abundance of tropical fruit falling around us and the fresh fish coming off the ports that day. In the next episode, we travel through Chiapas to Palenque, Mexico, with the Yucatan region in our sights. Along the way, we bump into Georgia and Martin. Hailing from the European continent, they've been heading north towards Mexico for six months from the base of South America. Their company keeps us muy tranquile as we patiently wait for a Mexican bus that is two hours late, which at this point is no dirt off their shoulders. We bought a ticket with a bus company at a bus terminal. And they kind of said, yep, you're going to a uni, that's fine. And then it got, yeah, about halfway and stopped and everyone else got off the bus and went off and we were like, uh, we're going all the way to uh, to Sucre and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, come with me and we run through the bus station and he just stops and he just speaks to a guy with a car out, yeah, and, and it's not like getting in a taxi, say, in London or somewhere else where you're like, okay, where's your taxi badge and where's the number? It was just a guy with a car and, and us not having fluent Spanish, we were like, um what's going on and all they would say to us was like oh it's okay it's fine don't worry and you're like yeah okay but I am you know? <laughs> it was um, like the scenario that people describe to you as a no-no like don't yeah, go yeah. in a strange sky just, just... hear more next time on Strangers Abroad